when William Friedkin says, I want the guy that did the Rocky movie to conduct the Academy Award show. How he pulled that out. Okay, fine. So I didn't have a clue about how to do that show. I had to go to Henry Mancini, Johnny Williams, Elmer Bernstein, the people who had previously conducted that show. Welcome to the official Oscars podcast. Today's conversation was with Oscar winner, multiple Oscar nominee, and more importantly, the man who's conducted as musical director the show for many, many telecasts, Bill Conte. It's a great conversation. I'm so happy to be talking to you because the Rocky score was a classic score. The size of that score hadn't been done in a movie because movies that got about smaller kind of moments or or using recorded music, as you say, needle drop stuff. That movie to me felt like it was all this ambition that was looking for a place to land between Stallone, between Avelson, between you. And these ideas are all feeding off each other. And it, it is this kind of thing that where all the pieces combine to make this piece that really works. Now, that was not my first movie. But it was certainly something that I uh, felt, like all the film composers do. I mean, this is our language, right? We, we are able to speak the language, which is an emotional language. So you take a piece like Rocky or any movie, come on, any movie goes through an emotional cycle. And, and if silent movies were really good and we had a choice between sound and no sound, come on. <laughs> the, mu- the music is is a, is a no-brainer because any one of us that write music for the movies to see it, we automatically hear things. We go, oh, I got it. Now, it has to be the thing that the director wants to hear too. I mean, it's a dictatorship. We need a boss. We need someone to pull this thing together. Even Sly, who wrote and starred in, you know, Who's going to provide this focus? And it's a director. We need a director. And he brings this point of view. And all these creative people killing themselves to give their best. And then chance, meaning luck. But, I mean, it's funny, too, because I I think there hadn't been a movie with that kind of score, with that kind of sweep before. Because I've always thought of Gonna Fly now as being almost this kind of inner city version of fanfare for the common man. You know, I, I, I hear the, the, the allusions to Copeland in it. In a, in, in a way, yeah. John always had a feeling that he was telling a fairy tale. John Appleton, right? And, and he, he said uh, early on, he had never seen a fight. I had never seen a fight. Really? Is that true? As a little kid, did you ever get in a fight? Yeah, of course. I meant sit there in the ring, you know, and watch people kill each other. No. A professional fight, yes. He'd never done it. I'd never done it. So we're out at, we're at his house playing, you know, at ABC World of Sports or whatever. Why World of Sports? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you could watch reruns of great fights. But what is he playing in the background? Now, we're not listening to the commentators. It's just the fights. It's just on the television, and he's playing the Eroica Symphony of Beethoven. And he says, this, look at the balletic. I mean, he's going on and on about, he's a director, right? <laughs> the, the, this fantasy story and, 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 and look at this great ballet that's said. He's telling me it's classic. And I'm going, John, it's the streets of Philadelphia. It's like 
gritty. He says, yes, but listen, listen to when Beethoven got, yeah, Beethoven, I get it, I get it. But we can't forget the streets of Philly. And he says, well, do that. Just remember the Eroica Symphony of Beethoven. Come time to actually do the music, and we're sitting with the producers. That would be Bob Chadoff, Erwin Winkler, uh, John Avelson, and myself. And we determine where the music will be. We kind of committee-like agree we should have music here, it should begin here, what's the nature of the music? These things that people talk about. Okay. I said, well, we begin with the fanfare, and the producer says, no, no, we can't begin with the fanfare. It's just too pretentious. But John Avildsen says, what's wrong with the fanfare? It gets your attention. So minor, minor, this wasn't like one of those, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> there are those, right? Elvis, you know there are those. <laughs> I have no doubt. You'll never work in this town again, right? Okay. The battle was over. John says, no, 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 no. It gets their attention. You're about to see a, a movie. Okay. There was a version also, by the way, parenthetically, we have a version with him winning the fight at the end. No kidding. Yes. And it went down to the mix, the final mix down, and, and they decided, no, 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 we think he should lose. Could have won. That close, came that close. They A-B'd it, for people who don't understand that, A-B it is the obvious. Let's hear it this way. And the winner is Rocky Balboa, yay. Let's hear B. And the winner is Apollo Creed. And everybody votes. And that, the original script won, but it was close. Wow, because we want to feel that he's he's won the smaller fight, which is that, you know, he went the distance and he gets Adrian at the end. He gets that piece of music that somebody threw on at the end of the movie. He, 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 got, he won the spiritual fight. Absolutely. Yes, yes. He won a fight for himself. But I, I feel like there's so much going on. And I mean, you were talking about dramatic music and so much of, of for me, the Rocky score is kind of sweet. It's nine reels of, of sadness. Yes. He, he, <laughs> come on now. If you weren't ripe in the 10th reel for anyone that said, hey, look at this. This might get happy. And it doesn't, by the way. It's a downer. He loses this silly fight. I mean, he just loses the fight. But in the 10th reel, he trains for the fight. Come on. Well, no, no, it's, 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 it, remember, it's upbeat because he does get the girl. He won't, uh, Creed says, uh, won't be a rematch. And he says, don't want one. He leaves the arena with the, with the girl and, and you take us out on that soaring music. The Rocky score was a classic score that hadn't been done in some ways. The size of that score hadn't been done in a movie because movies that got was much more so about smaller kind of moments or, or using recorded music, as you say, needle drop stuff. And for that kind of score was such a break with tradition that it, it brought a tradition back, I would say, for a while and led you to what must have been a really interesting moment, which is getting uh, to do a James Bond score and to write a James Bond theme. On Rocky II, which was like, oh, they're gonna, we're going to do Rocky too. It's a big deal. Oh, okay. And then I'm going, oh, great. Let's do something different. And everyone is shocked to go, oh, no. Well, I want to do something different. I already did. No, 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 no. Bill, you got to do the same thing. I don't want to do the same thing. So to take this story further, 
Now I'm, I'm engaged to do uh, with Cubby Broccoli, who is the producer of the James Bond series, a James Bond. Here I am sitting in England with Cubby, and he says, during that moment when the composer, producer, and director are talking about the music. Now, Bill, when James goes into action, if you wouldn't mind using James's theme, and I say, I wouldn't think of anything other than that. My goodness, I've been a fan of James Bond for 20 years. And then it dawned on me, oh, you fool. But how do you know that Rocky's going to run up the stairs in six movies? But when you get to compose a James Bond theme, that's a big moment for a composer. In a career, you betcha. Yeah. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts? What's going through your head as you're thinking that? To be totally honest, it's a known commodity. It's a big picture. But there could be a big song. Come on. The song. If you get a chance to write the song in a Bond movie. Now, that's kind of important because right after Rocky, I was asked to do Saturday Night Fever. John Avelson again, right? Yes. John Avelson again, right? I can't tell you the whole story. I really can't tell you the whole story. I got a minute. You can tell me. I swear I won't tell anybody. It's just the two of us. <laughs> so, so, so Robert Stigwood, the producer, asked for John Avelson and myself. We were going to discotheques with John Travolta. And John had some notes on the script. Mr. Stigwood says, I don't want the notes. This is the movie. John disagreed. And they agreed to not do the movie. Creative together. differences and he left. And Mr. Stigwood says to me, you're going to stay? I'll give you three cuts on the album. And I go, I'm an artist. I need to do a score. My wife says, do the movie. <laughs> do the movie. You'll do it in your sleep. You'll get three cuts on the album. I'm an artist. I want to do a movie. So I leave too. Now the Bond picture comes up and it goes, I want to do a hit song. I want a hit. <laughs> now you can't plan a hit, but this is an opportunity. How many times you get an opportunity? It's da 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 da. Do the song, right? That Bond song from Your Eyes Only feels like a Bill Conti song to me. You know, we, we hear the bassoon. We, feel, we hear those moments that make you think, that's Bill Conti. Good. Well, that kind of identity, if it happens, has to do with technique. David Rose, you know who David Rose is? Of course I do. Well, he wrote The Stripper, Holiday for Strings, Little House on the Prairie, Bonanza. So... After my Rocky moment, these composers that I admired, I was now allowed into their company, right? So David says, you know what's going to happen to you? I says, no, David, what? He says, well, I've, I've been called a string man. Holiday for strings. He says, they want something weepy with strings, they think of me. When people think of, they want something brass and heroic, they're going to think of you. And... Those are the kind of pictures you're going to get, even though you're able to do many others. Hollywood, he says, likes to stamp you as a brand. Now, I'm just quoting what he, what he said. That's what he felt, that's for sure. It's always about the brave person who, who dares to do something different that changes fashion in the first place. You did that with the Rocky score. You do that with that For Your Eyes Only score. And that song, because those songs are getting poppier and poppier in a contemporary way that was a date stamp on those movies. That song, Sheena Easton singing, suddenly it feels like it could be a, it could be a throwback to something like 
to Laura or, or, or that kind of thing. It, it was, a, there was, in fact, it was one of the, the more lush and romantic Bond uh, songs I'd ever heard. If I could interject, like a Dusty Springfield. You wish Dusty Springfield had done See, it. that's what I was going for. Something like that. You've done so many, and for me, kind of iconic I, anthemic moments. I think about that great score for The Right Stuff, which we're talking about that kind of feel of American sweat and, and ambition and building towards a sense of purpose, all of which is in that score. Thank you. That was the goal. There was another score that didn't do that. And the directive to the composer was that it was a personal story about the lives of these people. And for some reason, it didn't work at the level they wanted it to work at. So that when I came in, I said, no, no, once again, it's the space program and it's personal stories, but it's bigger than that. So um, that was like a mis misdirection for the initial composer. In other words, when you're told to follow a direction and you do it and you fail, you're either given another chance to do it another way or they get rid of you, you know, they... They use someone else. But that score, I mean, because it was a very different kind of thing for Phil Kaufman, too, who hadn't had a score like that before in the movie. Right. Didn't want one like that. I know. But, you know, it, it's I think these things and you, you have to notice by now, it's about the right to collab, the right collaborators walking into the room together, isn't it? It is like opera. It, it's a collaborative art form. All these many talented craftsmen. I say talented because every profession, you have to know what you're doing. You have to prepare. You have to get there. But all these people that come together, the chemistry has to work. And how do you make the chemistry work? Well, I'm not going to say it's a marriage or a family, but for the moments that you're together, it's a marriage and a family, <laughs> right? Yeah. For those moments, you're only together for moments, but tolerance, give a little, all of that kind of stuff goes into movie making. And when it comes together, the final thing is, if they don't like it, you know, move on. In 1977, I hate to jump around, but in 77, when William Friedkin says, I want the guy that did the Rocky movie to conduct the Academy Award show. How he pulled that out. Okay, fine. So I didn't have a clue about how to do that show. I had to go to Henry Mancini, Johnny Williams, Elmer Bernstein, the people who had previously conducted that show. This whole thing, it's a TV show. It began in the 50s. There's a format for the show. Music, I'm talking about the music. I can only speak about music. When they say the winner is, you play the theme from the show that just won. And they've been doing this since the 50s. I began in the 70s. 77 was the first time. And I did it a number of times up until the whatever the last time I did it. A lot of years. So the melody comes in and you have to prepare for each of the five nominees in each category. Costume design, five movies, five themes, boom, 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 boom. You put them on the paper for the musicians to go, the winner is, and they play the correct one. So, but I'm talking about the music. 
over the years, you can't find a theme for the movie. The closer you get to this current period, you go, it, now the movie is from, I, I can't mention movies because I can't remember, but there's a lot of movies with no theme. There's sound design. There's cans rattling. There's things that happen that go whoosh. And, and, and they say, well, the winner is, and you go, whoosh. Well, because that's the only thing they played in the movie. So that concept of playing the winner has evolved or devolved into what do we do, what do we play when they win? We can't find a melody in many of the scores. Wow, because I was thinking about, must be like maybe 79, there's an early section where you're leading the orchestra through the themes of the five of the Best Picture nominees. And I just remember that as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, you can't do that anymore, can you? No, you can't do that anymore. Talking about how the musical styles are shifting during the years that you were a musical director for the show. And I wonder if that was fun for you in some ways, because in a lot of ways, it gives you a chance to reinvent the show musically every year in a way that other musical directors didn't have the chance to do. Because those early shows, you watch them, it's almost like vaudeville. They're playing people on and off. And when they get to the end of the theme, they bring the horns in to let you know this is done. You got a chance to do something that was very different. John Green, the composer, uh, began the format back in the 50s. And I knew John very well. The idea was the elegance of old-style Hollywood, a pretense of, of elegance, uh, an attempt at whatever those words that make it seem like this is royalty, this is special, this is not just another television show, right? And then there was the idea of it being a variety show. Where is the singing and dancing? Well, there was. There was big time production numbers. The choreographers that people don't know about, famous choreographers, staging numbers that were anachronistic. It was like, uh-oh, someone doesn't want to see the 40s out there because it became kitsch. Now, something becomes kitsch because it's overused. When you look at the musicals of the 40s and 50s and you put them on the screen, they're to be admired. They're wonderful. But in the 70s and 80s, it's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Then you get the, the songs, that you have to do the songs. Why do you have to do the songs? If you don't do the songs and you don't do the production numbers, you're taking away the entertainment value. This is a guild. This is us. This is the people that make movies. We want to celebrate ourselves. We're allowed to celebrate ourselves. Everyone else celebrates themselves. Why can't we give ourselves awards? So we did. We began saying, hey, this is the best sound. This is a big deal to sound, the best script, the best whatever. You're coming to a party that we threw for ourselves, and we're going to let you watch. And you want to watch because some of those people are pretty people that you see on a 35-foot screen that you think are godlike. You think that they're very special. They make you feel really good, and you're going to watch them. Okay. They're going to be there, but we don't have hundreds of them. We have sound men that we love. We have to give them. Th and by the way, you never heard of this song. We think it did good for the movie. 
We think this song, this score, really put this movie over the top. We love it. You never heard of it. I can't help you that you never heard of it. But there used to be song score. And I mean, there used to be more musical categories. There, there did, remember? You can dictate this to some extent by, by the kinds of things you do. And I, and I think there was this, for me, watching those years of you doing this, there felt like there was a playfulness because you were constantly sort of sculpting what the music was to go along with that show rather than forcing a music style on it, which I always responded to, frankly. Well, but my attempt was to present the best musical part of the show. I mean, everyone tried to do the best show they could do, but it began with the theme music, and we used to have a theme. Depending on the producer. Now, the producer gets picked by the Academy to produce the show. The network gets to approve the director because it's a television show. And they're all great. I mean, the, the directors are, are great because they're putting on a television show. So who's going to be the MC? There's a list. There's a long list. There's a short list. There's a, uh, who can do it? Who wants to do it? Who doesn't want to get killed the next day? For, for for doing it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So with the music, I do the same thing. What's the theme? We did comedy. I would do 10 minutes overture in the hall before with the theme for the show. If there was a show about women, I did 10 minutes about overture for women. I, the, comedy, I did 10 minutes. So I devised all these things. It didn't go on the air. But but that it was in the house. It felt like this is what the evening's going to be. You're creating the mood with the, with with that the, that piece of music, aren't you? That's what we do in television shows. When you when you uh, today, here's a for instance. Years ago, a, a, a TV theme would be a minute and a half, minute fifteen. Now it's duh, 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 the show. If there is a theme. If there's no show, right, there's no theme at all. So the styles have changed. So when I was doing it, it was still elegant. There were strings. The voices went, ah, because in movies when the voices went, ah, it was pretty. We don't want that. It's, 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 it's over. So synthesizers came in. All right. I brought in synthesizers. We did, we tried to sound current, as current as we could. Uh, the, you could see it in the hosts. The hosts that revolving. There used to be no TV people, except you know Johnny Carson. Well, that was like the beginning of the end of the of the cross pollination, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying the way it was was that if is movies. Uh, why wouldn't the show be special if you could see someone seven nights a week? Uh, David Letterman did the show. You know, Chris Rock, I mean, uh, Whoopi, a lot, a lot of stars, uh, Billy Crystal, of course. I mean, uh, funny men, funny ladies, but generally movie people, but not anymore. Right. But uh, Carson was the breakfast. But here, let me ask you this. So we're talking about these kinds of things. I've got to ask you about getting to go on the stage when, when you got the Oscar. All right. So if I did it 19 times 
and I was nominated three times. So I was conducting two times when I lost, which is okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's unique. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Who else gets to say that? You, you get to play, you see your own music there, and you go, oh, here it is. Barbara Streisand, Evergreen. Evergreen. Barbara Streisand, Paul Williams. Great. <laughs> okay. So here I am. <laughs> now, come on. It's, it's easy to lose like that. It's just tough to keep it together, right? So my wife is always going, was in the audience, and she'd take one of my daughters or something like that. So the only time I sat in the audience was with my wife when I was nominated for the right stuff. And I'm sitting next to Mr. and Mrs. Johnny Williams. So I've known Johnny and, and all those people a long time. So here I am sitting in the audience. Now, both of us have conducted the show. Now, Johnny's been nominated how many times? I don't, I don't have that many fingers. The most. The, one of the, besides Walt Disney, probably the most. So we both admitted that we'd rather be conducting the show than sitting there. <laughs> we admitted that, that we don't want to be sitting in the audience. We want to be conducting. Because it was fun. We liked, you know, if you like to make music, then you'd rather be making music. And they said, the winner is, and it was me. The winner is Bill Conti for the right stuff. this honor. I have to thank uh, everyone that I should thank. My mother, my father, my wife, my daughters, Nicole and Raquel that knew that this was going to happen. I don't know how. So my wife, instead of exploding, she just was staring like this. Like I handed her my program and I said, well, I got to go get this thing, so I'll be right back. So I went back, I got it, and I, and I come back. I said, I thought that this, you had this feeling, we're waiting, I win the Academy Awards, this is the biggest moment of my, my life. And he says, well, you know, I thought we were sitting with everyone else that lost. I didn't want to go crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was very odd to sit in the, uh, the theater, but not odd to win. It was great to win. It was great. I can't thank you enough for this, God, Bill. I could do this with you forever. We're out of time. I hope I get a chance to talk to you again. Elvis, a, a pleasure. And that was Bill Conte. What a great conversation. Thank you all so much for tuning in or checking this out or doing whatever you do where you get your podcasts. This is our last show before the Oscars, which are on April 25th. Please join us again for our show, in which we get a little bit of time with some of the winners and have some highlights from the evening to share with you. This series is brought to you by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Our executive producers are... Fern Cusack and Justin Chandra. Our audio editors are Joey Izzo and Kyle Blair Henderson. Special thanks to the Academy's Meryl Johnson, Dina Michelle, Lauren Martin, Claire Lockhart, Julie Gumpert, Chris Lumchin, Randy Haberkamp, Brooke Klass, Matt Severson, and Justin Jackson. Thanks so much for listening.